Welcome to the Raised to Stay podcast. I'm Natalie Runyon, your host, and I'm so glad you are joining us. I pray that every episode introduces you to a Jesus you've always wanted to know and reminds you that out of all the reasons we have to quit, we have one reason to stay, Jesus. Stayers, I am here with Amber Jones, and Amber and I met um, several. I think it's been a couple years ago now um, through social media. She has an incredible ministry that um, goes into my hometown of Cincinnati often. I get to be with them this coming fall. Um, but Amber, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself? Tell us some fun facts about you and your family, and then we're going to dive into some pretty heavy conversation. So if you are listening to this podcast, just know this one is going to be maybe a little bit more, um, I would say serious or even, um, a little bit more, um, emotional than what some of us have talked about in the past couple of podcasts. So just be aware that we are going to dig deep into some, uh, more psychological stuff when it comes to the church to our role as Christians. And Amber is the perfect person to guide us in this conversation. So welcome, Amber. (laughs) Thank you, Natalie. I love the opportunity to share conversation with you. It has been fun to connect, you know, through, through social media for a little while now and have so many factors in common, including growing up in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um, And then, yeah, now I live on a 40 acre farm in the middle of nowhere in central Michigan. So I feel like I'm slowly losing my city girl card and trading that in for um, a a farm belt, you know? Yes, and you have puppies. You always have puppies, which is just so much fun to watch. (laughs) We have puppies. We have grass-fed beef. We have boar goats. I mean, when I am married, so my husband's a large animal veterinarian, and I knew, you know, I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to marry a doctor, right? Um, what I didn't realize is that meant you go where the cows are. Right. So this city girl learned how to wear muck boots real fast. But I do call it my unexpected best life because we homeschool, did not expect to be doing that. Um, and here I am running a nonprofit, didn't expect to do that. Um, and so it's my unexpected best life. And I think that that's what happens when you just stay committed to where God is taking you. And I think that's some of what we're going to talk about today is what happens when it doesn't turn out looking like what we expected. And um, and sometimes that's really riddled with blessing. And um, sometimes those blessings come with a lot of bumps along the way. But before we dive like fully into this topic, tell us a little bit about your nonprofit and how, I mean, it's really how we met. So tell us a little bit about your nonprofit. Yeah. So Grace Story Ministries, um, I started in 2019. We've got, we started with women's conference because that's what I know. I'm a woman. And so what, what better place to start? But what I had found is, um, I came from a background, a very, very strict, um, fundamental conservative church background. And my dad is a public relations director at a Bible college there in Cincinnati. And we had that PR image down really, really well on the outside. But behind closed doors, there was so much dysfunction and flat out abuse that happened. And so fast forward, um, because we can get into that a little bit later, but fast forward after I'd done several years of trauma processing, I realized, you know what, our family is not the only one that 
does not know how to walk out of this. You know, you live in that silent shame, the hidden secrecy of, of what's going on, because if you speak up, then your Christianity is in check. I mean, how, how would a holy person treat their children like that? Um, you know, and, and the list could go on. And so knowing it's not just about the relatable stories that we have where we're like, yeah, that's me too. But then also following that up with, okay, but how do we step out of this? How do, what is the road out? And so what we do with Grace Story is share the relatable storytellers who come in and and give us that, like, yeah, I get that. We we, we, we want, we recognize that. But then follow that up with a master's level instructor who's counselors, theologians, who come in and help correct that view of God, help un, helps us understand what those difficult words like codependency and, you know, covert incest and betrayal trauma, what are these, what do these actually mean? How do those actually play out in practical tools? It's so needed in the church. I mean, we are living in a time right now where hashtag church too, hashtag me too. We didn't have those movements when we were growing up in the church. We didn't have right. Um, access to people who would listen to us beyond the church walls. And so to provide ministries now that not only encourage people to keep pursuing Jesus, but to tell their story and to let the Lord use that story, not to necessarily continue um, to sit in our sickness or to sit in our trauma, but to actually pursue healing it allows us that space that I think we were all desperate for when we were younger. We wanted to be heard. We wanted to know that our pain and our experiences were validated, um, not just by the Lord, because we know that, but from our brothers and sisters and leadership in the right. church. What do you feel like you're hearing the most coming into your ministry? What is kind of a common theme? Yeah, I think so. The two biggest areas uh, that we see consistently, and obviously there's there's many across the board. I mean, anxiety being one of them. But um, if you go back to beyond the symptom um, issues of why people are there, and and symptoms would be like anxiety, um, overwhelming fear. Um, those are symptoms of something deeper. So the the root causes that we're seeing are childhood trauma. And, um, and spiritual trauma. Those really are the two biggest things that we see in, I would say, 99%, just because we haven't done an actual study, but like 99% of the people that come to conference that listen to our podcast or we have a YouTube channel, you know, like those people are coming to find resources because they're seeing the need in their own life. They're becoming more aware because information is out there. But, um, but it's almost overwhelming. Like it's almost like a flood of information. So what is the right one? If I knew where to actually start, then I would put the investment there, but I don't know if it will actually work. And how do I trust somebody else that's saying, well, this is a biblical worldview, you know, like, so you can trust this. Well, we've heard that a lot. We've been burnt there a lot. Yes. And... <laughs> You know, when when people start throwing Bible at us and God at us to try to mask what we have gone through, we would call that gaslighting, right? right? Where we are being told, no, that's not what you experienced or, well, it was for your own good or that's what the Bible said. So you've obviously walked this road 
yourself in order to be able to speak to it. You've had to walk out your own healing. Tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah. So, um, like I inferred a little bit to earlier was we grew up in what looked like really a, a perfect home from the outside. And many of my friends later, when we shared our story, um, were surprised. They said, I, I had no idea that this stuff was happening. I knew something was off. I knew you were really responsible, but, um, but I didn't know that the level. And some of that goes back to family roles. So everybody has a different role. And I like to put this out here. Um, the way I interpreted what happened in my reality and in my family is not the same role that some of my siblings played, you know? Um, so mine was that of the hero and that sounds like really noble, but it just means I felt responsible for my family. And I was in many ways. I was cooking um, for the family by the time I was eight. I just would, you know, my mom would take me grocery shopping and I would pick out what we were going to cook for the week. Um, I was my parents' counselor and I would go on dates with my dad and um, he would take me out and I would just try to deescalate what happened between him and mom the day before. Um, I would go to bat for my siblings, so they wouldn't get um, a high level of corporal punishment. I mean, it was just, my mom was a nurse, so she would call home and make sure that everybody was doing what they were doing and saying, Amber, keep them, you know, keep them doing what they're supposed to do so that they don't get in trouble. So I carried that level. The thing with family roles is that you can actually have multiple roles within the family. And um, what I have learned through my processing journey is that I also became what what psychologists would call the scapegoat. And the scapegoat role is the one that kind of gets put on them like, well, you know, the blame for things. Like, well, we can keep our feeling of, well, we're comfortable with the way our family is. This is the, this is the way it should be, you know, but you just keep bringing up these things. You keep trying to make us something into we're not, right? So that's just one example. There's there's others. But um, but what I began to learn over time was whatever name you want to put to it, whatever role you want to call it, it wasn't working in my new home that I was making with my husband, with our four kids. And the the ways I had learned to survive did not need to be happening in this new environment. But I didn't know any other way. So I had to go back and do the work of getting that story straight and saying, okay, what do we have here? That is now actually causing new generational dysfunction. And that took several years. But, um, and shoot, like the first year I was like, this is my year of anger. Like I've never been able to feel anger because that was not, you know, something that was a proper Christian thing to do. You don't get angry. Although I was a pretty mean spiker in volleyball. <laughs> it got a lot, of, it got a lot of the vengeance. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then the second year was that of debilitating anxiety as I just felt through the fear, the fear of God that had been given to me. Um, we talk about spiritual trauma, um, just to give a little insight there. You know, I, as young as five and six, um, I was lying, like, just to see if people would believe me. But you think coming in that environment, you know, you, you want to stand out. You want to know that you're seen. You're just trying to get attention. And um, my dad would come in in the evenings and tell me about hell and how, 
how real it was and how all the bad guys were in the same place. And, you know, you never stopped burning. And it was just, and you just think back to that, those developmental ages as you go through processing and you think, wow, I would never do that to my little Vivian who's eight now, but, you know, surrounded by your stuffies and, and then just try to, you know, and then I would see the glow in the dark stars on the ceiling and think, oh my goodness, it's vast eternities forever. And those things, so someone who then went and listened to a chapter of Luke message on the rich man, poor man, Lazarus, you know, they're, they're not going to have the same kind of spiritual fear that I did where I was like, he's coming for me. Mm-hmm. So all of those stories began to shape this God narrative that I was making that God was vindictive. God was scary. Um, he was waiting for me to um, prove myself worthy of his redemption and his love. And even though my head could say, this is not the way it is, right? Like, I know that God's not actually doing this. Your heart believes a different story. So that's some of the, what we get right the story that we're getting straight in processing um, is that God narrative. Because how do we go and make disciples and evangelize the world? And, um, you know, that, that gospel, the simplicity of the gospel that we're called to share when you're scared of God, how do you call other people to serve a God you're scared of? It's amazing to me to hear your story because I think about the community of raised to stay. And I think a lot of us want to gaslight ourselves into saying, no, my childhood was great. And I I love Jesus still. And no, it was perfect. And then there's others who are like you who are just coming to grips with it. Like, no, this was not normal. This was not um, the God of the Bible that I'm learning about now in my twenties and thirties. And I want to say thank you for giving this other side of the story to our listeners, because I do feel there's like a little bit of survivor guilt Mm -hmm. for those who were raised in these utopian Christian homes who have no idea how to have a conversation with someone who has come from an environment that was more toxic or unchecked authority. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you have come to grips with this new God that you are reading about, like, you know, how, how do you reconcile what you were raised in with now what you know about to be true about God? Yeah. I, and I think what you're saying there is so valid, so valid because, okay, for instance, my first intensive where there's a group intensive, there were four of us going in to try to process through. Um, and one of the stories there was that of like, I mean, one of the worst CPS cases you could think of. And I was like, I got to sit in that chair and tell my story. And it's really not all that bad. I mean, I had pretty, you know, I had at least food, you know, I had food, I had access to a shower. Um, I went to a Christian school, you know, I, and so you, there's ways to where we start minimizing. We're like, oh my goodness, my story isn't valid of even, you know, feeling and I think that's one of the first keys where when you catch yourself starting to minimize your story, like, well, you know, I mean, think about the people who are trafficked. And for a while, um, I worked at a girl's home and with, with juvenile delinquents. And it's like, well, I mean, think of these stories, you know, I don't have those stories. So you're minimizing. The second thing though, is when I did get in the chair to share my story, 
that same girl, when I got done sharing about some of that hell trauma that I had and um, and I couldn't even lift my head. I was so ashamed that I had made such a big deal out of this story to pay these thousands of dollars. And it, you know, and this is all it was, right? When I finally lifted my head, there were tears in that girl's eyes and I didn't understand it. I didn't know why was she crying? I mean, her story is horrible, right? And her, her words back to me were this. When I was in my situation, I knew that God existed because otherwise I would be dead. Your daddy took God away from you. And the reality began to sink in. The innocence with which we approach God. He he tells us that in the Bible, right? Like Jesus said so many times, come as a little child unto me. That innocence, that playfulness, the smile that we that we see on God's face. At some point, as we begin to lose that, that begins to be our God. And when we lose a God who delights in us, we begin to lose hope because then we're like, well, even when we do make it to heaven, maybe I'm getting there on a technicality. And then Jesus is like, hey, your cabin's in the back corner. I am letting you in, but I'm not really that glad that you're here. Right. And, and that's not, That's not what he wants. This journey of restoration that we're on goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one, where that relationship that he desired in the garden. And and it's so hard for some of us to even think of a God who delights in us, let alone a God who pulls us up onto his lap. That, That idea of being held by God, to some of us, that's actually icky. You know, with the trauma that we have, we're like, I don't want God to hold me. I don't want any man to hold me. Like, I've done that. I'm past that. I don't ever want to go back there. I am my own person. And yet we go to church or we, we have some kind of faith community that we're a part of. And we go week after week trying to figure out why we don't feel what everybody else seems to be feeling around us when they're worshiping. Then why doesn't God connect with me? And here's the thing. God has never left us. So God doesn't leave us because we have trauma. God is still there. But as we grow, we get this rubble that just continues to be put on us and put on us and put on us. And it's kind of like um, like my daughter Vivian and those stuffies I mentioned. You know, when she goes to bed and she's got a million stuffed animals over, you just got to kind of pull them all back in order to find her. And what I like to think is this journey of restoration, this journey of getting the story straight, is God in his surprise moments of grace saying, okay, let's let's take a look at this. What was true about this? Let's be curious about this. Let's not judge ourselves for it. Let's not judge our parents for it. This isn't about passing along shame um, anywhere except for where it is due, right? So it's not ours to carry anymore. We've been carrying shame that isn't ours and we're being called to be hope bearers. So when you're a shame carrier and you're moving, but you're supposed to be a hope bearer, it's a little hard. It's it's incongruent. Mm-hmm. That's the value of getting the story straight. I think about all of the pastors and leaders and, and people who are trying to lead ministries and churches and organizations. And we forget that 
a lot of the people who are coming into our care have had religious trauma or church abuse, um, not only in their old churches, but in their very own homes. How much would you say a father's relationship with their child is in uh, affects their relationship with God or with even spiritual authority in the church? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, our parents are our first pastors, right? They're the ones we trust first. And if that relationship, if we don't attach well in that relationship, it does impact the other relationships that we we come into. So then when we start with Sunday school or, you know, kids church, and then we move to the lead pastor is then shepherding our hearts. Um, the way we approach those relationships, maybe those also have that level of fear. Like, well, I want, I really want to please them well. I want them to think that I am going, you know, that I'm digging into the word, that I am digging in even Bible studies. You know, when we go to a small group, it's like, what are we, are we showing up? Is it a safe enough place where we can show up and be like, I don't actually know how to study God's word. You know, this wasn't a part of, I was just trying to survive, right? Like right. I prayed a lot, but I didn't know how to to have a steady devotional time. And so do we have that relationship then where we can be vulnerable, where we can step into that kind of community where we so desperately need to understand who God is? And yet it's being impacted by those old voices, those old ways of thinking that keep us from being able to. And then some some environments just are not safe enough to be that vulnerable, to just Absolutely. to actually put out there like, hey, I'm struggling with this, this sin and I know it's wrong because I may not know how to have devotions, but I know this is wrong. Right. And I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to get help. And it's almost like because we were silenced as children, we assume we're going to be silenced as adults, which is why we as the church family have such a massive responsibility to report any abuse that is happening in our churches, whether it is physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, whatever that looks like, because many of those who are coming in do feel silenced. They do feel less than because they've been taught that that spiritual authority, whether it be a senior pastor or just anyone who's over us, that they have the final say. And even potentially in some churches that they might even be closer to God or that they may um, know more. They may have a, a connection to God that we don't have. And guys, that's all abusive language. Um, that yeah. is not true at all. But I think when we talk about church abuse, this is why it is so important that we as leaders are listening to the things that people are saying to us, that we take every accusation seriously because we don't know what people are telling us until we actually know them or in conversation with them. And like you said, this takes time. You may have somebody in right. your congregation for five or 10 years and have no idea what they've wrestled out, but that they're actually trying to tell you there's something wrong in, in the church. Um, and because they lived it, they can see it, right? That right. discernment, that experience. Yes. That's why every accusation has to be taken seriously and explored and investigated, right? Right, right. And there's a lot of risk in speaking up. And so part of this as church leaders um, and ministry leaders, uh, one of the things we're building is that trust equity where we're just continuing to show up 
proving ourselves as a safe place so that when the time does come, they know where to turn. So, um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot to lose by speaking up. And that's part of, I mean, I think that's part of at least my story. And I know I'm not alone in this as even a leader of in, in my own right with Grace Story. There's a lot of loss that can happen when you start confronting the sins of the church. And I do not mean that as finger pointing because anybody who knows me, my team, our Grace Story community knows Grace Story was started to come alongside the church because I saw we, my husband and I both come from ministry families. He was a PK his whole life. Um, my dad was an evangelist and um, traveling preacher. And so we know what it's like, the difficulties of finding people that will work in the church, you know, to, to come alongside. Like, so we're not trying to tear down the church leadership. That is not. So please hear me on that. But we also know the politics, you know, because we got an, we got a front row seat to the politics of a church, even though everybody says church should not be a business. It should not be running as a business. You know, I've heard you talk on that a little bit before. And, and, you know, I agree with you. It should. There, there are some things that really should be run well. Um, but there's a fear of loss because if you do come from a church where maybe your whole family goes there. Our family, well, we attended the same church for 18 years from the time we got married. Had a, a lot of our family went there. Um, and as I started Grace Story, there were some differing opinions about the validity of whether counseling was a way to go and, or whether that should only go through the pastor. And um, so instead of those becoming conversations where we can differ and still love each other, that became something that began to be taught about, preached about. Um, and obviously people in the church knew what I do yeah. with Grace Story. And um, so even in that, it was that process of biblical reconciliation of, okay, let's go to your brother first and hours and hours and hours of conversation. And then that didn't seem to go anywhere. And I mean, <laughs> theological narcissism is alive and well. And so uh, that was part of it. Um, and then, so then we went to the lead pastor and said, we just need help. We just need a mediator for the conversations because um, this isn't going where we're, this isn't going in a healthy way. So we need a a mediator. Um, and then that one did not go where it, it didn't go well. And so then we went to the board and we said, here's, we need help, Right. Step by step by step, and not to get bogged down in the whole thing, we're doing well, but but it ended with us, the board saying, hey, we believe in you guys. We do believe in your Christian walk, but um, but what we we just aren't going to be able to do anything about it because, you know, we don't want this to tear our church apart any more than it already is. And um, And somewhere in there, we started getting hate mail, and it was just like, what in the world, what started out with the naivety of coming alongside and um, becoming a resource for the church, um, then actually separated us out from that faith community. And um, I mean, our integrity was stripped. It, like, it was just crazy. And we just thought, wow, how do, what do we do? It was, these are our people. This is where we belong. 
This is our roots and our tradition. I mean, we have families and grandparents that go back in this, this faith tradition that we were a part of. We never saw ourselves leaving. But then at the end of the day, we found ourselves like outside of the city and we're walking those walls like Jericho, like, hey, you know, let us back in. Until one day we woke up and said, and it goes back to what you say all the time about going and leaving. We had the grief of leaving and we said, wow, what like we're leaving this place that has held so much for our family, that has given us so much. There are genuinely good parts too. And that's what makes it so hard to reconcile. Like surely we hold out this misplaced loyalty that says, surely if I say the right thing, Surely I can earn my way back in until we say, we woke up one morning and said, you know what? Maybe God has something different. Maybe God is bringing us into something. We need to say goodbye. Um, we need to put that one to rest and to grieve the losses. Remember the good times, but then also just, just notice again, being curiosity, being curious about where we are now and what God has brought us into and that is where hope can start coming alive again. It's it's so real. I, and I, I think there's so many things to unpack in that entire thing structurally as leaders. Number one, pastors, leaders, whoever's listening here, you know, when, when you have people in your congregation who God has given ministries, ideas, creativity, like, you know, I realize that there are check marks, there's checks and balances, there's, um, there needs to be order. But I do find it interesting that churches are so afraid of something that is not their DNA. Yeah. You know, coming into the house and not knowing what to do with it. And this is where the relationship part is so vital that we are actually listening to each other and not making assumptions and not assuming things. And leaders, pastors, those who preach from a pulpit, it is never appropriate to use a Sunday morning or a staff meeting to make a point about a congregant or a staff member or a family member just for the sake of making a blanket statement. It It's so divisive and it, it's, it's also borderline abusive in that if you have been raised up in a home where that kind of passive aggressive leadership was a norm, it is going to break the person who you are supposed to be caring for. And this is where we talk about the Matthew 18, which clearly you guys did. There is so many processes in place biblically to help protect us from hurting each other. And yet we're so quick to make assumptions, so quick to skip processes because we make these assumptions that people are acting out of emotion or they're unhealthy or they're going to hurt us. And, and I just, I just want to say leaders, I believe that when people come into our congregations and they have new ideas and they have um, things that God has given them, that we unpack those as far as we can and then make the decision, is it time for them to go and be released through prayer, fasting, support, pray them out, cover them, commission them without it right. turning into another toxic environment where somebody is forced out a door and nobody knows where they went. And yeah. this comes down to just biblical communication and loving each other to a place where we want to explore, like you said, explore, investigate every 
facet to what God is doing in our lives because we could be missing out on something really great. A church to partner with Grace Story would be a gift for any church. And I know there are hundreds of ministries out there now where their ministry was not welcome in their home, in that home church. And you feel orphaned. You feel kind of like that little kid again who wasn't good enough or who was just tolerated. And you guys, I'm tired. It's great. You can love me, but sometimes we just want to be liked. Mm -hmm. You have to love me, but man, to like me, like, man, that, that like speaks volumes as a church when leaders can come around your congregants and not just love them out of obligation, but really like them and know them. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, um, I have said time and time again, if you understand where somebody has come from, so if somebody under, really truly understood my story and they had you know a problem with with the way I was running Grace Story, right? Um, they would understand that. Now I've done a lot more work, so this is not how it would go down now. But early on, the 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 deep fundamental. Um, checklists and things that were part of my tradition growing up um, would have been in some ways similar to what Gothard and some of them were were teaching. Um, and if someone would have just said, hey, could we meet for coffee? And could you just tell me about what's going on with Grace Story? There's some things there that I'm concerned about. And if they would have poured investment into my life, they would have probably been able to to shape Grace Story which I think God actually protected from, and that looked like trouble, but he protected me out of that environment so that he could preserve grace story to himself and and keep the message of, you know, to what he wanted that vision to be. But the level of, of value that we um, underestimate mentorship to have, it, it astounds me. Because if you can truly see someone and say, wow, I see you are a young person with vision, um, with passion, with energy, for goodness sakes, you know, um, and I would love to just invest into that. That goes so far into shaping this next generation. And that's what the next generation wants. We, we want, like, I mean, I'm, I'm 40 in May. So, you know, I'm I'm at that middle age and I think we're right there together where we're saying, okay, we're the new leaders, right? We're the ones picking up this mantle. We still need the lived wisdom of those who came before. We need to know what they learned from trial and error and from conflict resolution. When did it work? How did it not work? So we can evaluate these things. So there is such a space for everyone. If God still has you here, there is a voice for you to speak into someone else and and to give that, even if you're not up on the stage. It is not all happening up up front. No, and, and senior pastors hear this. This generation, my generation and under, we don't need you. We just need somebody on staff who is shepherding the house alongside of you to run alongside of us. That could be a children's pastor. That could be a care pastor, a small groups pastor. That could be an intercessor. You know, I think that we've put in the old model of church so much emphasis on one person when really like we aren't requiring to be your biggest fan. We don't need you to take us out anywhere. 
especially as women, like we just want to know that what we carry brings value, that what God has given us matters, that it has some sort of validity within the house that we call our home. And I will say when I talk about church hurt being a lot of unmet expectations, this is what I'm talking about, that you, people like you and I come in with different backgrounds and histories, uh, whether it be family issues or old church hurt. And we come in with this renewed hope, like what you were talking about. And we we want to believe it's going to be different. We want to believe that leaders are going to be different, um, that there's going to be a spirit of God in there that we haven't caught anywhere else. Um, and, and when we're disappointed that we don't find that, I think it translates as church hurt because right. we're disappointed again and yeah. we feel lost again and we feel orphaned again. And, and that is work we have to do. That's deep work we have to do. But it's there's also something to be said for our, our church leaderships to acknowledge that the people coming in every Sunday aren't just consumers. They're looking for relationship. Right. And if we become too big that we can't remember names and we can't hug a neck and we can't ask, how's the family, then maybe we're too big. Yeah. 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 Unmet expectations uh, breed resentment. And, and that's, that's part of what is at play here. And then again, what you said um, about the being re-orphaned, like if we have not taken the time to get that story straight, we don't always recognize then because we have blind spots. We don't recognize how that um, that expectation, that that narrative is playing out in those peer-to-peer or peer-to-authority new relationships. And so um, as I did my work, I mean, I can just go with my story because that's that's what I have permission to tell, right? Um, but as I did my work, I started realizing like, wow, I'm still looking for a father figure, right? I'm still looking for that older male individual and not in an icky, gross way, but one that will just invest in my life and say, wow, to speak blessing over me. And when I'm trying to put that on a lead pastor who doesn't have the time, they don't have the energy to do that. But when I can recognize that for myself and say, this is this is something I'm looking for, and I can never get this filled outside of God, right? The structure he put in place for a human father to represent him to me was imperfect in this cursed fallen world. And so now I'm going to need that to find. So what is the place of the lead pastor there then, or the discipleship pastor, you know, or even the worship pastor? Because all of those have a different a different way that they are informing God narrative. So instead of trying to find perfection in one person to fill everything you need, it goes back to scripture where it says, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Amen. So instead of that one perfect mentor, like I was always like, I want that one person who will just invest in me. What I've learned is I have a mentor who speaks into me for like the leadership, female leadership. And that is a unique place. Um, then I have others for like how to be a good mom, you know, just, and that's, those are two totally different women who were mentoring me in those. And so you piece together and that's not the chameleon because there's the chameleon that says, um, this is a good mom. This is a good mom. This is a good mom. And you're taking all the best parts of everything you see and holding that as your standard of excellence for being a mom. That's in, that's unattainable. But it's saying this person, this person, this person, these can give me something 
And all of these can bring an aspect of God, our Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son, who who then speak and become tangible hands and feet for who God is. We have to wrap up, guys, and I really hate it because this is a beautiful conversation. We've covered a lot of topics um, that I think you guys write to me about in my DMs um, from you know, abuse of spiritual authority to um, seeing God, our father as a, as in a uh, reflection of our earthly father and, and how we come into the church every single week with our own stories and our own testimonies and our own experiences. And I love what Amber is saying here. Like, just like we can't have chameleon syndrome with like, I'm going to take this part of this mom and this part of this mom, and I'm going to be the best mom. Cause I'm going to be just like all of them. We also can't do that to churches and leaders. We can't piece together perfection and come up with a perfect church. We are always going to have the flawed leader. We ourselves are going to be flawed people. And so we have to be really careful when we walk in on Sunday mornings as leaders, number one, not to assume everybody is looking at us um, to be the end-all be-all right? We don't need to carry that. But as congregants that we walk in and realize that our leaders are human too. And every person we're doing life with has got their own story and their own experiences, their own trauma, their own abuse, uh, the things they're bringing with them. And because of that, it is only by the grace of God, we are the family of God. It is only by his grace and his mercy that we can even come together and accomplish a little bit of this kingdom work on earth as it is in heaven. And remember, the enemy is the one trying to divide everything. He's the one who wants to take and kill and steal and destroy. And the Lord, it is the unity of his people that commands his blessing. And that is what I think every Sunday we show up and we just give our very best and we just do our very best but we're learning, we're listening to each other, we're leaning in, we are available, we are willing to acknowledge our sins, we're willing to uh, go to people and have those hard conversations and report things, like you said, using your voice that may or may not end up asking you to leave. We don't know what that's gonna do. Um, But what I hear you saying is that when we use our voices and when we are obedient, that is that picking up our cross and following Jesus. Though may none may go before me, I'm still going to follow Jesus, right? right? right. So as we close out, Amber, what would you say to our stayer community, those who are looking for this God just to be this father in their life? What would your encouragement to them be today? Yeah. You know, we can wrestle through shame for so much of our life. Um, missing hope because we're so busy proving that we belong here. Um, apologizing for being here um, and even romanticizing about what hope is going to finally look like when we get it. Um, and grace theory is founded on the verse. I'll read this, but first Peter five ten, and it says, and the God of all grace, after you have suffered a little while, a little while will himself, God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. There are seasons and um, hope is truly the message of the gospel and this imperfect humanity that we are, we are being invited into the perfect, sustaining, unconditional, holy love of God the Father. And one of the things that Brene Brown says that I think is apt here is to assume generously. And when, when we live life and it's scary, when we've been, when trust has been burnt so many times, it's hard to trust again. It's hard to be vulnerable again. But I just invite you to, um, to find the clarity 
that you can by resting your foundation on the on the God who loves you, even if you're still learning who he is, to start there as your premise so that you can assume generously, so that you can run courageously and um, and truly learn what it means, the value, the the rest in being held. Rest does not mean without trouble, but it does mean that there is a foundation in which we can put all of our hope that this God who maybe we're still scared of is good. He is good and he is sovereign and that he has so much, so much. He doesn't just use us. He doesn't just use us. He invites us to be yoked together with him. And if you think about the Passion of the Christ movie in that very, you know, that very end scene where he's, Jesus is carrying his cross and he's battered and he's bruised and he's bloody and it's, it's really rather graphic. And they have this perfectly healthy individual come over and grab the cross with him. And I think that, that that is a picture of there's this healthy man and it was even heavy for him. He's stumbling under this load. And yet, if you look up, there's Jesus and he reaches his hand out over and under this cross and he pulls this man in and he just makes eye contact with him. And this, this is the God that we serve. Yeah. The one who says, you know what? I'm carrying this load for you. When you hurt, I hurt. When you, when you, you know, when you're looking for something more, I am it. Let's make eye contact and understand that I'm not just putting my cross on you, but I am carrying it with you to a place of hope and restoration and so much joy, but it's going to be a trip to get there. Beautiful. Well, Stayers, listen, if you'd like to know more about Amber, her ministry, Grace Stories, is just one of the most amazing um, ministries that I have had the opportunity to just witness from afar, especially as a pastor looking for good resources for people who are looking for counseling, spiritual direction, uh, resources for their families, for their church lives. Guys, seriously, go check her out. Um, Instagram, Facebook. And again, I just want to say thank you for listening and we will see you next week. 